Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 69. Uh, I'll make no jokes there. I'm joined by uh, Sam F. Sam, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself? Because when I actually tweeted out that you were coming on, a lot of people thought that I'd tagged the wrong account. So why don't you give us a bit of insight? Sure. Hello. And uh, thanks for inviting me on. Um, yes. Yeah, so I don't think I'm, I'm not the sort of usual FI uh, Twitter account, I don't think, because I, uh, I use it mainly for my job and I work in education, work in, I've worked in education and policy for 15 odd years and have built up uh, a following who's interested in that. So if you did start following me, after the tweet about football index, I'm, you're going to get a lot of very dull tweets about <laughs> education into... policy, I'm afraid, and not an awful lot about football index. So if you don't mind, why don't you go a bit more into your your background and then what led you into to FI and uh, a bit more about your football index journey in general? Sure, yeah. So um, I've never really been um, much of a, a gambler. I uh, It's always felt sort of like I'd lose money and it was a bit risky. Um, but I've always loved uh, sport and loved football um, and watched lots of it and felt like I knew a lot, of, a lot about it. Um, and I saw an advert for FI on the Tube during the World Cup. And it was right where I, st- I stand waiting for the Tube. And I was just, on the third day of standing in front of this advert, I sort of clocked it in the way that you do. Um, and, uh, and saw that they had like Harry Kane was like six quid and Messi was eight quid or whatever the values were at the time. And I just thought, why? What is those values based on? Like what is because it didn't mention dividends anywhere in the advert, and I just thought, well, why? Why would Harry Kane be worth six pounds? So I sort of got me intrigued, and then I saw when I got to work, I, I logged on and had a look at the site, and I was just totally captivated straight away, um, totally hooked. It's absolutely, you couldn't design a product better for 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 me, sort of someone who really enjoys sport, massively likes stats and data. Um, and uh, has never been quite comfortable gambling, but has always sort of been intrigued by the idea of being able to use that information to make money. Um, so I was pretty immediately hooked, even though I was playing with like 50 quid at first, watching my port go up and down by like 3p. I was still still fascinated watching <laughs> it bounce up and down. Um, and then after a few games, I, uh, I, I started putting more money in and... Uh, built up what I, um, yes, yeah, sort of a, a medium size, not not anywhere near the size of the people <laughs> you've had on the show the last couple of weeks, but not but quite a medium ASP. size, not quite ASP, <laughs> I wish, I wish, I think my, I think I'd be divorced by now if I put that money in, <laughs> that much money in, but, um, but no, en- enough to make it, to make it fun. And um, yeah, and I've been doing it now since the World Cup um, and, uh, and can't see any likelihood of me stopping it doing anytime soon because it's it's fits fits my interest so well um so so before we get into the questions and before i plug myself uh, shamelessly why don't we give a few tips to, to youngsters because obviously if you've been on since the world cup you've been with football index for quite a while why don't you go into maybe a couple of your top tips for, for football index new users um yeah so i think we'll talk about it a bit during the course of the show but i think the first thing is to understand why you're buying a player you know, I see you see a lot of people just jumping on trends and it's not necessarily a bad thing to jump on a trend. You just you really need to understand why you're doing it um, and where you are in the trend when you're doing it. So you don't get completely burnt by getting on at the last minute. So I think just really understanding 
the logic for any purchase that you make. And there's lots of different reasons, lots of different ways to play and lots of different reasons why you'd want to buy a player. But just being really clear in your own logic as to why you're doing it would be one. The other one would be understand the rules. I like, I'm horrified by how many people on the sort of index gain chat and, and on Twitter just don't understand the most basic rules about how the PB matrix works or how MB works. Um, and, are, and are, you know, putting quite a lot of money in on the basis of just not 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 knowing what they're doing. So you know, read the rules really carefully and just have a logical reason for what you're doing. I'm not going to tell you, you know, obviously everyone will have different logic for why they want to buy different players. Um, but um, but just have have good reasoning um, and a good exit strategy as well. So you understand why you what 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 it, when you would sell a player as well as when you'd buy the player. Yeah, and, and people have got that exit strategy notion kind of confused with exiting the whole of the index. Oh right, yeah, yeah, completely, haven't they? Yeah, just just on every player, you should have a sense of what you think is going to happen, um, and it might be that your exit strategy is going to hold for three years because I think they're you know I, I, it's a great player. They're gonna they're gonna keep getting lots of dividends. I'm just going to hold them, and that's fine. Um, it might be actually, I think this player's got a great run of fixtures, and I'm going to get out afterwards. But just having a sense of that in your head, rather than just saying blindly saying, "Well, this player's going up. I don't really know why. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know who they are. I'm just going to buy them." Um, is not you're going to get burnt if you do that. Mm, yeah, I think wisely said there. But before we get into some proper questions, uh, I just need to plug myself for probably a minute or so. Uh, a lot of people maybe skipping this part but if you if you like the dulcet tones of my voice at this point please please stay and and listen if you like uh my voice but also want to see what i look like for some reason then head over to my youtube channel this wednesday i'll be releasing kind of the first in a series of q a videos which will be you know what it says on the tin i'll be answering questions that you guys are throwing at me that um we might not have time for the podcast or that are slightly more personal to my football index journey or just about the product more generally and and zooming out quite a bit so if you have any questions do dm me my dms open uh if you want to see some written work then head over to uh, head over to the football index blog which is hosted on medium uh that's alongside liam football index lm and uh, fi trader Uh, if you want to listen to my voice speak just about football and not football index head over to the state of play podcast this tuesday uh matt who's my co-host interviewed the guy who started um i think it's uh scouted football the uh, twitter account that does a lot of uh, young player profiles and they had a great chat if you want to collaborate or sponsor the podcast hit me up on football.index.guide at gmail.com and last but not least please leave a review and subscribe the other day i tweeted to, to leave football index a positive review on um on all various things like google the app store but please do also leave a review on my podcast i think i had 99 reviews when i last looked and, and please do subscribe and tell your mates about the, the show uh, if you enjoy it well our first question is from um football index hurts i'm assuming that's Hertfordshire, <laughs> rather than the pain caused by the index. yeah 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 <laughs> Is the current hype on young players starting to make the index look like a big pyramid scheme? How important are dividends to eradicate that feel? Uh, Why don't you take this away, Sam? Right. So, I mean, the first thing to say is I I really get annoyed when people call it a pyramid or Ponzi scheme or anything like that, because it's definitely not. And a pyramid 
or Ponzi scheme is designed for the purpose of defrauding people, and Football Index is very clearly not designed for the purpose of defrauding people. It's a let's, regulated let's go company. Let's into that a bit, a bit more. Like what, what, a, a, the definition of a pyramid scheme and then a Ponzi scheme, if, if you could elaborate on it. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same principle that you... you um, uh, you get people to sell to the to to somebody else, so you've got a steady flow of income coming. But your but every person, but there's no real um, there's no real value anywhere in the chain. So the only way everyone is making money is by you um, is by them char- charging to the next person. That this is a pyramid scheme, and then the next person, the next person. So lots of people can make money up to a point, but then if you're stuck at the end. Uh, at the point where everyone realizes there's no value in it, the whole thing collapses and you lose all your money. Um, so uh, it's definitely not it's definitely not one of those. Um, and a Ponzi scheme is when you, when a, a sort of a, someone someone trading or sort of financial institution um, uh, uses money that they're taking off uh, investment money they're taking off one person to pay out on another to another person. Um, so you're just essentially keeping swapping money back and forth between people as long as you possibly can to keep everyone happy without, without actually ever, um, making any money for anybody. Um, so it will only work as long as you're growing your user base of, um, of people that you're, you're, you're taking money off and using that to pay back on others. Um, but again, um, you never. There's never any real value, and never any intention of creating any real value in a Ponzi scheme. The aim is purely to collect as much money as you can in from people and pretend and keep the pretense going as long as you possibly can. Um, so you can have a you can use the the money while it's there. Um, so again, like both of them are deliberate schemes designed to defraud people. Um, and and just because, for example, Football Index have uh, introduced goals and assist dividends that's adding to that value chain for example right yeah it's clear it's, it's clear that you, you know you don't need to spend very much time looking at the economics of football index um and the um uh, how they make money to realize that um yeah they're, they're making they're clearly gonna have to make a profit but they're not um they're not going to be making anywhere near enough uh, for for it to it to sort of work like um, work like that, and they're paying out significant dividends. So it's clearly a it's clearly a, a company designed to grow off the back of um, commission rather than of, off the back of growth. Um, sure, and, and I think people do forget the the other part, right? They do make money through commission, but they also uh, automatically the 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 staked. Uh, money is added to their balance sheet right so they can so invest that too. always forget that well there's actually lots of ways they're making money they, they you've, you've got the um you've got the fact they can invest their balance sheet you've got the fact that they're getting commission but actually is i think is probably the biggest way they make money um i um i've been very sad when um Mourinho got sacked and pogba dropped by about a pound i was watching the ticker and trying to figure out how much money um they were making and i reckon they made about 2k commission but about 20k on is in that kind of hour so the is i think is probably more valuable to them at the moment um certainly so um so so what why don't we get back to the basis of the mm. question which is about young players yeah so so, why don't you elaborate a bit sure so i think it goes to the to the sort of key question of the index which is how do you how do you define value on 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 football index um and uh, clearly age is part of the way that you would define value, but it's extremely hard to value youngsters. It's much, hard, it's much easier to value an older player um, because we know a lot more about them, so much more of the variables are known. So if you take someone like uh, Suarez at Barcelona, um, 
We know he's going to only play a few more years. We know he's probably going to play those at Barcelona. We know how good he is. We know his sort of regular type, you know, PB, his, the number of goals he scores a season. We have a lot of information about him, which means his price is not going to be very elastic. Um, and in, in fact, it isn't. He stays more or less the same price and he might go up a little bit. If he plays really well, he'll come down again. There's, there's very little price movement on someone like that because his value is pretty easy to, to, to derive. Whereas for a youngster, it's extremely hard to, to, to value because you don't know very, you know very little about them. You might know that they're hyped. They might have had a couple of good games. They might not even be playing yet. Um, so, uh, so with the information you have, you have to make an assessment of their likely career dividend earnings, which you know over a sort of twelve or fifteen year career. Um, and uh, so, it's not surprising that the volatility around youngsters is much higher than it is around older players. Um, the question I think is getting to is, is, is that volatility pushing a lot of players too high, uh, younger players too high? And again, I think it, it, we don't know. Like, there's too many variables. I have no idea whether um, Dembele or Mbappe are going to be um, phenomenal successes over, over sort of 12, 15 years that would justify their price or not. Um, so it's much more of a gamble. Um, I do suspect that people are overestimating the likelihood of any given player who is hyped being a world-class player. I think there, there's, there's, there's a sort of um, availability bias going on where if, if a player is really hyped and called you know, the new Messi, the new Neymar, you create this sort of frame in your head that they are going to be that good and then price them accordingly. Whereas, of course, every, you know, how many players have been called the new Messi over the last five years? And in fact, you know, none of them are the new Messi. So I think I think there's probably a bit of um, overestimation of the likelihood of any good hyped young player becoming a world class player. Um, but it's very very difficult to value young players. So I think that's why you're seeing so much bouncing around. So I'm going to say a few things here. Um, first of all, I'm going to allude or not allude. I'm going to point to the the monster thread I put out uh, a few nights ago, which was uh, I think someone had added me in, in in a statement they'd made, and this thread had gone on for I don't know fifty tweets or so. And then I kind of read through it, kind of tried to digest it, and I, I said a, a lot of the similar things to you there, Sam. I think the first point is that the football index hasn't been around long enough to see like a big crash in a young player and even if we have the likes of gabriel barbosa and um adnan yanazai who were once hyped as this next neymar or yanazai was going to be like the next big thing from the united academy those things obviously didn't happen but if you look at their prices they're still at about £1.50, considering their IPO prices, which I don't know off the top of my head, but there's still quite a, a fair bit of money in them. Uh, and, and I guess those odds are getting longer and longer for them to become even very good players, let alone world-class players. So that's obviously, as the, the odds have gone higher for those things to happen, the money in them has diminished. And I think the second point to to actually touch on is the variables that you've just explained so well there i think in my thread i wrote that a, a, an older player or a player whose value is derived from one thing say uh, pb for example i think we saw this uh, defender 
I'd call it a bubble because there were so many defenders that were rising at, at extreme amounts. And obviously they can all um, return great value. But we had to remember that there are more defenders on the index than there are forwards, for example. And a lot of these defenders were rising ridiculous amounts. I remember at one point the, the Chelsea defence combined were all um, like 13, 14 pounds if you put them all together. The likelihood that those four or five defenders were going to return even 10% of that value across the entire season or 20% say, and it was going to be evenly distributed across them is next to none. And I think we saw um, when, as soon as we saw that those players didn't return the expected returns that some uh, people had placed upon them, they fell very quickly. But as you said there, it's very hard to say that uh, Dembele and Mbappe might not return dividends in five years' times. And I said, if you look at... um, Dembe- uh, oh, sorry, Dembele, Mbappe, Junior, and a couple others. What is the likelihood that they are going to be in the next the next top five? And also, what is the likelihood that they're going to be in the next top forty three players who have uh, contributed to fifty percent of the dividends so far this season? Thanks for the stat uh, index gain in last uh, week's uh, episode. I think it's easier. If something happens to a youngster, or either if they start playing for the B team or if they get injured, for that variable or that hurdle to kind of be jumped over rather than like a Suarez or a, even a, a mid-aged player who, if they do move to a player, uh, if they do move to another team, sorry, for example, or they start playing another position, suddenly the viewpoint on them is that they are far less var- valuable rather than with a with a younger player, you can kind of speculate and saying, well, actually, I think this might be better than for, them, for them long-term or this new position might mean that they're great for PB in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's much easier to come up with rationales for a price... Mm. Um, definitely. I mean, I also think that, and just and just just one more thing. Sorry to, to cut yeah. you off. That I really wanted to to point back to the last episode with ASP, where he he said a lot of his best trades were where there are where there was very little information available. Uh, and I think he alluded to it being uh, Vinicius Jr. And then he tweeted out that he had the 5,000 that he'd bought at £5. And obviously, there was very little information on him from like a statistical viewpoint. If you looked at his stats on Brazil, well, in Brazil, how can you actually um, translate those to the biggest club in Europe? And then if you looked at his few performances in Real Madrid... Are you going to look at those and say that's a great player or this is someone on good form like a Frederico Makeda? It's really hard to actually think about it. But that may, that uncertainty means there's actually more opportunity and fair play to AFP who did very well in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. The less information you have about a player, the more volatile they're going to be, which means there's more mm. opportunities for both winning and losing lots of money on them than there is on an older player who we know all about where their price is going to go up or down quite slowly. You'll still get dibs, obviously, but you're not going to get, um, uh, you're not going to see big appreciation. I, but it works both ways, right? It's a, it's a more risky, but ultimately if you do it well more rewarding strategy mm, definitely so well, we'll move on to the next question this is a football index futures trader i met him at the uh trader meet recently actually good a good gent and uh he was on the show recently and did really well uh do you think it's a wise strategy for new traders to be focusing on youth capital appreciation rather than buying solid more established dividend holds so we've kind of talked a bit about this yeah but, yeah uh, it goes back to the sort of same point it's it's a uh, uh capital appreciation is a more risky but potentially more rewarding strategy but if you don't really know what you're doing you probably don't want to be doing risky strategies you want to be starting with a fairly safe strategy 
and then and then as you get to know the index more you can take you know you'd be more comfortable to take more risks I mean that's certainly how I've done it when I started I barely sold anybody because I didn't know what was going on I just watched everyone bounce up and down um and and was sort of trying to figure out why why it was happening and what the patterns were and now I'm much more comfortable selling people you know and and buying and selling for capital appreciation than I was at the beginning um because I've got a sense of the patterns um and how the market works so I think for for a new trader you know have a have a some safe holds and then a little bit of money that you use for some riskier things to try and figure out how the index works don't throw it all on the next uh, hyped player because you could get burnt yeah, I think it's it's very wise to hedge your bets to some extent, isn't it? Uh, but the guys at Index Gain gave us some really good stats here, Sam. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I've been told to say this, but in, in DCA's words, using the rather sexy total player return report, <laughs> uh, players who have... Uh, who have a 100% return or greater this season, over half of them are 23 or under. So 51% of those 100%ers are 23 or under. Players who have done 200% or greater this season, 73% of them are 23 or under. And lastly, players who have a 300% return or greater this season, 80% are 23 or under. Mm. Crazy stats, right? Yeah, but again, it's kind of what you'd expect. I mean, if you think about an analogy with the normal stock market, um, young players are like tech stocks where, you know, new tech startups where um, you might get the next Google or you might just get a company that's going to crash and burn in a few years' time. Um, so they're just going to be more volatile. And, the sh- and if you look at the, if you looked at share prices, I'd expect you'd find that uh, new companies are much more likely to see 300% returns than um, than a you know, Tesco or an established company. Equally, they're more likely to go bankrupt and only nothing. Um, and as you sort of said at the beginning, we haven't really seen a big crash on one of these players. Um, but you know, I'm not. If, imagine if um, Mbappe broke both of his legs and 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 and, and, and then came back, you know, um, significantly slower in the way that Michael Owen did actually, you know, a bit later in his career. Um, you'd see a you'd see a really big crash, and you'd see you know he, he's one of the. You're not going to see a sort of in a, in the space of a, a sort of a short period anyway, a sort of three hundred percent loss on a on a sort of twenty eight year old pretty established PB player, but you could on a young player because they're just that much more volatile, and we don't know how which way their career is going to go. Um, we just haven't really seen the downside yet um, as much as we've seen the upside. Yeah, I think it's true. <laughs> But again, I, I do go back to that point, right? There are some youngsters who are three or four pounds. And if the um, if the upside is potentially Mbappe and the downside is what Gabriel Barbosa and um, and Adnan Yanazai currently are, then are those bets actually good ones? It becomes a strange, um, a strange bubble within a bubble within a bubble or just very strange market dynamics at the moment. What do you think that you know if you came back on in in 12 months or 18 months on the podcast do you think we'd be seeing the same kind of thing happening um i think i think we'll see this for a little bit longer um and then i think you know we'll, we like any trend it will pe- it will hit its sort of natural end point and all of the all of the players we're talking about have sort of reached an amount that people feel comfortable with um so you know i, th- I think um vinicius and dembele and uh, and and mbappe are all sort of you know, they might jump again if they have an amazing performance, but they've all slowed down a bit in the last week or so, or even started dropping in Mbappe's case. Um, and I and, I, and so, I, so I suspect we'll sort of see the end of this big surge we've seen over the last few months. But I don't think you'll see the kind of um, 
uh, until we see a big crash on one of these players, I don't think you'll see people really f- um, uh, factoring in the downside as much as the upside. So you will still see as young players come through them, them, them rising probably faster than would be completely rationally justified. Um, so it's, it's an interesting one to watch. I suspect it will, it will settle down a bit over the next year. Mm, certainly so you'd expect to but after the share split i do i don't fear but i think that we will see a lot more of this speculative purchasing especially with the prices being lower and especially if you consider that um when people buying when people are buying these half of them aren't really looking at the expected dividends across their career as you said um and all but also on the other hand i think if order books are introduced in those next 18 months then that will that will make it a lot riskier to be in players that aren't dividend returning won't it yeah and i think um i mean to go back to the tech stock analogy if you look at the, the bubble in um, in the early part of the millennium um the, the, it wasn't as if none of those stocks had any value some of them had lots of value and in fact now the best stocks in the world you know the 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 highest value stocks in the world are all tech stocks. It's just that people weren't being discriminatory at that point. They were just buying anything that came up, you know, pet stores or whatever, online pet stores, because there was it was online and they just got excited and you got this bubble. And then and then people just got more discerning. So Amazon still kept on going and Apple still kept on going, but but some of the rubbish dropped away. So again, I suspect it will be as the market gets older and more developed and traders get a bit smarter and cannier. It's not that young players are gonna stop being ever being value. Um, and in fact, you'd still expect young players to get the most appreciation, some young players to get the most appreciation. It's just you won't, it won't be quite as uh, across the board as it is at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But um, yeah, if you guys want to see more great stats and you want to have a look at that rather sexy total player return report then you can head over to indexgame.co.uk and if you want to join as a premium member you can use the code fig2019 at checkout for 50% off your first month a whole 50% off and a quick disclaimer this is for new users only but yeah indexgame.co.uk fig2019 at checkout for 50% off your first month what are you waiting for go ahead and do it because uh index gain are great aren't they sam i think you're a you're an avid user oh yeah I, I don't understand how people play without it um because it's the only place where you can get a lot of available information about how the index is is operating um so no i, I don't i can't see how i would uh, how i would trade without without the information on index game and the community which makes it fun as well <laughs> certainly so there's some uh, great characters in there uh next question is from dan james bishop speaking of index gain one of their founders who was on uh, on a previous episode who uh, who spoke very well he said great to see one of the finest minds on index gain taking part in the podcast do you believe behavioral biases are more prominent on fi when compared to more traditional markets if so have you any advice from traders to both learn from and capitalize on these biases? Okay, so I mean, it might be worth just a brief um, explanation of what we mean when we talk yeah. about behavioral biases um, or cognitive biases, as they're, as they're sometimes known. Um, so some people will know this, and apologies for, for, for the quick summary if you, if you already know this, but um, economics um, has traditionally used models of people where people are rational. So all the, all the sort of traditional economics models assumed everyone would behave in a rational way. And economists obviously knew that people weren't rational, but they felt that there was no way of factoring that into a model because people would be irrational in all sorts of different ways. So they just assumed for simplicity that people were rational. And then you got a couple of um, Israeli scientists 
psychologists came along in the 70s, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, and they completely revolutionized economics as a field by pointing out that actually our the irrationality in our behavior is predictable. We're irrational in really predictable ways. And we we all share those same biases, those same cognitive shortcuts that that mean that we that we do things in a in a in an irrational way. And once you once biases are predictable, you can then factor them into models. And you can, when you're looking at something something like trading or investing, you can take into account that people will behave in predictably irrational ways rather than do the rational thing every time. And that can help you both try and reduce your own um, cognitive biases. There are some tricks you can you can use to reduce your own cognitive biases, but also spot them in other people and take advantage of of, of those things. Um, and by far the most powerful and important cognitive bias is that this accounts for pretty much everybody. We all fear losses more than we appreciate gains. So so the and, th- and this has been studied to death. Like it, we we the pain of taking a loss is about twice as much as the pleasure of experiencing the same gain in value. I, I was literally talking to someone about this last night. Uh, I'm going to, sorry, quickly interrupt. They said to me, um, okay, you either are guaranteed £1 million or you flip a coin and you can win £100 million. That was the old, um, that's the old kind of psychological test, isn't it? Uh, where, where like you technically right now have a hundred, you have a million pounds and you're essentially betting the, that million pounds to win a hundred million, right? But the odds are usually for that would actually be a hundred to one. But someone is offering you one to one to do that. So every time you should actually do that. But psychologically, most people, no matter or, you know, unless you're a multi multimillionaire, most people will pick the the million pounds, won't they? Uh, yeah, and and exactly. And, and you can even do it with much smaller numbers. Um, and if you say, so if you say to, to people, um, uh, you can, uh, you can bet a uh, hundred pounds um, well, you know, we'll, we'll give you a hundred pounds. Um, but you know, on a toss of a coin, uh, you could win 200 pounds. So the economic value is the same in those two, um, the, the, those two, two bets. Cause you could lose the hundred pounds. If you lose the coin toss, you win 200 pounds if you win the toy cost. So, so the, the economic value is identical for both those two, um, examples. Most people will choose the safe option because they don't want to risk the loss, even though they're exactly the same. Nearly everyone will choose the safe option. But if you flip it, and turn it into the opportunity to not have a loss. So you do exactly the same thing, but flip the flip the um, equation. Um, so uh, you're definitely going to lose a hundred pounds, but you can take the towing costs to either lose two hundred pounds or lose nothing at all. Most people then will take the gamble because they want to avoid the loss. So even though it's exactly the same, you change people's behaviour by turning it into a loss rather than a gain, um, and that is. That's sort of the, the sort of crucial essence of, 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 of cognitive bias, biases. And it applies in spades when you think about trading. Um, there's, a, there's a very well-known, uh, and this is, again, very well-studied and, and sort of proven behavior amongst traders uh, on normal stock markets, that they are much less likely to sell a, st- a stock that's in the red than they are to sell one that's at a profit regardless of the value of those two things because they don't want to take the loss because it's painful. Whereas they're quite happy to take the gain, um, and you see that on on or you see that on on football index all the time. People saying, "I can't sell this player because he's still in the red," which is completely irrational, but is a very powerful driver of our behaviour. 
Um, so, so is that I just to go on a tangent? And I think someone asked a question about this, so we're probably skipping to that one. Um, what do you think of the new red and green thing or taking away red? Do you think it's a good move by Football Index? It will increase. Um, it will definitely increase people selling because red is a, is a colour we associate with loss and danger. It's a classic nudge. So um, Richard Thaler, who was one of the people who invented behavioural economics, also wrote a, a very good book called Nudge, which is about how very small changes in the way you frame um, decisions people make can have quite big effects on what they actually do. Um, and so changing red to blue will definitely, I'm sure a psychologist told them to do that. It will, de- <laughs> it will definitely increase selling by a few percent, but enough to make a difference to their bottom line because people won't feel well, the loss. So maybe much. they just, maybe they just listen to the, uh, to the podcast oh. where I, I've said, oh, well, there you go. Times. There you go. That's, uh, <laughs> you, 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 you've but made that, that <laughs> rightly or wrongly uh that that question was from raul lemuel psychologically how do you think the change of players whose value is now below buy price showing in blue rather than red on the app will impact trading do you think this will have a bigger impact on new traders mindset and will it change anything from experience for experienced traders i think this was one of my favorite questions and, and i think you've just alluded to the the, the nudge theory but also it will just make the platform a little bit more liquid which uh which makes more sense doesn't it for everyone yeah absolutely there's other nudges you could do that would push it in both directions like if you if you put if you actually if they listed the amount the cost of ising as a separate cost it would reduce selling because people mm. can't see it at the moment so they're not they're not factoring it as a loss um uh, we, we saw that guy who redesigned the uh the ui of football index who, who said that fi should present instant sell as a secondary option mm. always yes yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, anything else to, to talk about on uh, Dan's question? Yeah, there? so I think so, so his question was, is it more, is it going to be are these biases more prominent on FI compared to traditional markets? Um, I mean, you do get these biases in spades on traditional markets as well. But I think you probably, it's probably even stronger on FI because you've got a mix of a lot of people who aren't experienced as traders, a lot of people who've come from gambling and gambling attracts particular particularly strong cognitive biases in people um, or people with particularly strong cognitive biases Um, and you've got an incredibly low information market which sort of goes back to the point we were talking about earlier it's not just in terms of young players you you, there isn't that much information about them anyway but for all players there's very little information about the market on the site Um, and if you're not using index gain the premium service on index gain which only about one or two percent of traders are using you just don't have much information, um, which means that biases like availability biases, which are you're going you, you're gonna to react to the most recent information, you're going to overrate the most recent information, are going to be much stronger because you just don't have any information about hit the history of a player um, beyond that little graph they have. Um, so I think I think that combination of sort of gamblers, non-experienced traders, and very low information is going to is going to make it a sort of uh, uh, is going to let cognitive biases have a field day on on football index. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of what you said is is certainly really interesting. I'm I'm not a psychologist. I've never done any psychological subject at school. Uh, the only the only psychological things or interests I've had is is to do with uh, trading, uh, and that are I think you've 
you've kind of explained it to uh, I mean what I'm trying to say here is that I'm I'm learning during this show so if I start babbling it's because I'm thinking too much um, <laughs> this question was actually uh, another really really good one from TC uh, the man with a moon in his profile picture he's been on the show quite a while ago I think now but he was really good to what extent do you think the language on social media is fueling the youngster trends or psychology we always see people talking about investing or holding for three years etc and rarely any language showing an understanding that these are bets and then in bracket says including from football index yeah i thought this was a really interesting question i think one thing i disagree with in the way it's framed is an investment is a bet there's no that they're like they're synonyms they mean the same thing um a bet is a form of it's a particularly risky usually form of investment but it is an investment um it just might be a bad one um so so I, I don't i don't necessarily see the distinction between investments and bets um but um but the three-year point is a really interesting one it really got me thinking this question and i was sort of doing a thought experiment in my head what difference would it make to fi if instead of a three-year hold and two percent commission they gave you a two-month hold and a 0.1 percent commission how would that change the dynamics of the platform would change it a lot obviously That's really interesting um and people would trade a lot more and would buy much more short term um, even though actually, technically speaking, the economic value of a three-year hold would be the same. Um, it, it wouldn't be how people would behave. Um, so, uh, so I think that's really interesting. So, I think the three-yearness of the bet definitely matters to how people approach the platform. Even though very, very few holds are anywhere close to three years or even even six months. Um, because people use that three years as a framing for for their decision making. Um, if you said you if you held, if you got to hold for ten years again, it would completely change the dynamics of the market. People would be buying more youngsters; they'd go up even more. Again, even though economically it wouldn't be very different, but the framing would be: I'm buying someone for ten years, so I want to go for Mbappe because he's going to be around for ten years. Um, so I think I think that is is quite a significant part of the reason why people trade in the way they do. And if you changed it, it would have a very big effect. Mm, mm. I think that that's really, really interesting. What you've just said about changing it to um, to a month hold. Was it what, a month or well, two months? If, if, if you did a two-month hold and a 0.1% commission, two month hold, 0.1%, it would be the same. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dividing both by 20. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. So, so, so technically, it would be the same value, but you'd treat it in a totally different way. Um, because it'd be much, you'd be able to, you'd feel much more comfortable selling, um, and obviously you'd be encouraged to because you'd only hold for two months. Um, so it would, it would be a very different market, um, even though, even though you just divided both sides by twenty. Mm. Really interesting stuff. The next question is from Problem Child. Uh, this is DCA, the other founder of uh, Index Gain, I believe. Uh, if Daniel Kahneman played Football Index, how would he structure his portfolio? Uh, who, who is Daniel Kahneman? Daniel Kahneman. So he's the Israeli psychologist I mentioned right the, uh, oh, early, yeah. earlier on in my spiel, uh, who invented this field of behavioral psychology and is my hero um, uh, and a Nobel Prize winner now. Uh, and uh, would very, very, very much recommend his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is an excellent guide to this kind of um, thinking. Um, I, so I, I struggle to see him playing football index, given he's like a 80-year-old Israeli scientist. But um, uh, you never know. Maybe, maybe he's secretly on there with a, with a, with a port. Um, I think uh, 
uh, firstly, he'd want all the data behind from from FI, so he could run lots of experiments on it to see uh, see what biases he could pick up. Um, but also, if you read his books, he would advise that you ask yourself questions about what you're doing and make those questions quite explicit to force yourself to think about them. So his his view of psychology, which is now backed up by by um, neuroscience as well, is that we essentially have a in simplistic terms, a sort of uh, a system one and a system two way of thinking. A system one is a is a sort of rapid, intuitive um, way of thinking that's pretty much designed for our our primitive ancestors who needed to run away from a lion very quickly uh, to be able to do that and process all that very quickly. And system two, which is a sort of rational, thoughtful, more modern mind, which allows us to to make better decisions. Um, and he sort of says psychology is a sort of constant battle between those two systems in your head um, to, 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 to make better decisions. So everything you can do to help system two, to help your rational mind, to force your intuitive mind to make, to think and make better decisions um, is a useful thing to do. And you can actually sort of set ways of doing that so this is why um you know why uh people won't buy chocolate bars if they're trying to, if they're trying to go on a diet because they they're, they're using the rational bit of their head that's saying you need to lose weight to to defeat the irrational bit of your brain <laughs> that will eat a chocolate bar if it's sitting on the shelf um regardless of of, of the fact you know you need to diet um so I think there's a whole bunch of sort of questions he would he'd have a checklist of questions that he asked himself before making any purchase or sale like um uh have you have you actively searched out a contrary opinion for this spy? Mm. Have you asked somebody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a good thing to do. I if you so if and if if you were selling if you didn't own this this um share would you buy it at this current price yeah that's the the, the one that i was going to go for because that's the one yeah. that i always <laughs> tell people yeah, to so ask that, so, but, I mean, if you and if you literally force yourself to ask those answer, ask those questions answer those questions before every purchase or sale then you will make better decisions you won't make not every decision will be right but you will at least force yourself to think about why you're doing what you're doing um in a in a frame that that's quite helpful to to, to having that that sort of conversation with yourself um so uh so I definitely think he'd do that and 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 this sort of point about going out and seeking contrary opinions open mindedness is an incredibly important trait in making good decisions people who are incredibly closed minded and absolutely certain of their view tend to make bad decisions um which is one of the reasons why our politics is such a mess at the moment <laughs> um so um so like going out and saying that and obviously sometimes you need to make a decision quite quickly because a player's got injured or um or is doing well in a game and you don't have time to do this but if you're sort of pondering ah should i get that player going out and saying what do people think about this player you'll get a bunch of opinions you don't need to agree with any of them but at least it will challenge your thinking mm. that's really interesting and, and part of the reason i guess that you've alluded to index being index gain being so great but also the football index twitter community and the forum and, and all this stuff part of the reason probably people listen to the podcast is to to challenge their opinions or exactly. or perhaps get them uh, reinforced yeah, and and, I, and you have to be careful with the, with reinforcement because yeah. we again one of the sort of natural biases that everyone has is confirmation bias. We're always looking for information that backs up decisions we've made because it makes us feel better than information that's telling us we've made the wrong decision. Um, but uh, but 
but but you so you always need to watch your your tendency to go for information that supports you and and perhaps prioritize information that seems to go against what you think you know you, again sort of forcibly make yourself prioritize that information because it's harder to do and your and your sort of primitive brain won't do that yeah people do that all the time with footballers and football stats they'll tend to use say goals per game or goals per minute rather than goals per appearance uh or, or the other way around when comparing two players this isn't to do with football index at all we're just talking about footballers in general absolutely yeah it's really interesting to see if someone has a clear agenda for or against a certain player they'll um they'll use the stat that kind of backs up their opinion which i i guess in some ways is logical but also doesn't really make sense if you're if you're taking in all the statistical uh like underlying values into account it just doesn't really make too much sense uh, but yeah, again this exactly. is these are these are people right these are these are how exactly. people act um, his exactly. other question was uh, could you recommend any books that might help people become better traders or investors so I've mentioned uh, Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which I just think just for your life, for getting football index, everyone should read. It's a fantastic book. Um, for It's quite long, though. So there's a sort of simpler guide to a lot of these ideas, um, which is um, predictably irrational by a guy called Dan Ariely, um, which is another guide to these, these ideas. Um, there's a really good book. Um, called Super Predictors by a guy called Phil Tetlock, um, who's another sort of uh, psychologist who's done this amazing experiment where he just got loads and loads of people, thousands and thousands of people on the internet to predict world events yeah. and then found that found the ones who were best at predicting and, and collected them all up and put them into teams and then again asked them a load of questions and saw what the best and most effective team was at making predictions. And then after he'd done that, went back and looked at the traits of those people to try and understand what made them good predictors. Um, so it's not particularly about investing, but it's a very good way of thinking about how to make yourself better at making predictions about the future which is obviously the essence of trading there are, there are a lot of uh, just to, just about in sorry there are a lot of really interesting products that are probably going to spring up in the next five to ten years that are basically group predictors um yeah we've seen this slightly in the, the cryptocurrency world if you're familiar with it at all or if the listeners are uh, a lot of projects which are basically based on betting on any real world events and it's kind of like uh trying to find what what most people think is going to happen um and i think we're going to see loads of products come into various spaces where we're not only looking at experts to try and make uh, predictions and i mean we've seen it with for example etoro where people are kind of following other people's trades or, or bets whatever they you may call them um you follow the person who has the highest rating who's made the most money right yeah absolutely people follow warren buffett when he makes decisions exactly um so, but it's it, they, and just to to what you said, they have actually done that. They've um, they've created those guys behind the Super Predictors book have created a they've they've collected up these people who they reckon are the smartest predictors in the world, and they sell their predictions to companies. Um, what a business so, model, hey? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, what, any other books? Sorry, uh, I rudely interrupted uh, you. Um, just a couple more. I'd, I'd say Nudge um, by Richard Thaler. Cass Sunstein is a very good on the kind of little things that you can do to change the way people think about the decisions that they're making. Um, and I think will be important to the future design of Football Index. Um, and another book called Misbehaving by Richard Thaler as well, which is just, a, again, a sort of little history of the, of the behavioral psychology movement and behavioral economics. There's a few that if everyone gets through those, that'll, that'll take a while. <laughs> I will be sure to put these in the um, 
in the in the kind of description for the podcast there um let's see if i can try and find them <laughs> um do, do you get involved in traditional gambling that's the last question from uh, problem child i think you uh, you alluded that you don't no i and, and i and i have i've always sort of wanted to but then i never really like it, it just i i could never work out how i could make any money doing it um because to make money at gambling you need to do it professionally really um, recreational gamblers never really make any money so um it, it just felt like it wasn't it was too risky um and like and um uh fancy football also felt like it was a bit pointless because you couldn't win any money or, or unless you come to the top um so it was like it was like um you know the three bears football index is the perfect porridge because it's <laughs> it's sort of in between that kind of high risk model of gambling and the no risk model of um you know, fancy football it's it's that there's real money at stake so it makes it more fun but it's um you can actually win <laughs> which makes it <laughs> <laughs> for sure and but like do you, because this is the first model of its kind do you, do you think we'll see any like uh, we asked this on the previous podcast but i'd love to get your thoughts uh, do you think someone could create a competitor product and be successful um so it's quite hard to compare to to create competitors to first market movers in a kind of in the kind of business model they've created, because why would you move from something which has decent liquidity now to something that has none? Um, I was, however, there's a great strategic exercise I play when I'm um, when I'm thinking about sort of my non-football organisations that I that I, I've, I've worked in. Um, design your own competitor. It's a really good way of thinking about your the f- the flaws in your design and strategy. Is to, is to design a competitor to you, and what would you do differently? Um, and I was trying to think about this with. Um, football index and i reckon if i was going to do a competitor i'd make it completely in play so i don't think football index could move to completely in play now because there's too much legacy but but a completely in play football index would be much more like fantasy football and gambling but you could still have the same principle of of of, of trading and investing and i think that could potentially attract um a different type of person um and be successful as a competitor um because it just makes it more exciting Mm. yeah i I think that's really interesting actually but i I do think that there's i think people there are these a lot of fancy bet sites that just don't really seem to get much traction don't they uh yeah yeah i mean i think it would be very hard to to come into this market now you'd have to i think it would have to be one of the big betting companies and it's to be honest it's easier for them just to buy football index at some point so why would they go to the trouble um but um but i think there's definitely i mean, I, I, I know that you've discussed this a lot on your show and people got very upset about gna when it was introduced but like in play to me makes total sense um like if you if you were starting from scratch i'd do a lot more of it because it's it's much more um it it gives you a lot more hits of uh, endorphins <laughs> during the day yeah, um, yeah, yeah yeah as your players sort of do well um in that you can have very low micro payments, but you're getting lots and lots of them rather than just occasionally getting a big hit for winning yeah. PB or, or something. So um, I think it was quite quite a clever move on their part. You know, however, the, the, how they handled it could be discussed forever. But um, I think the, the principle is a good one, and I can see them extending it not now, but in the future at some point, um, without mm. whilst keeping the other parts of the of the system. I, I do think though you, you alluded to the fact that the football index audience isn't one that would be as married to the um very much in play thing which is why i think football index made this a 30 day mm. kind of bet 
all right yeah I, I think that if this was okay you just have to hold past midnight and then you'd instant sell I, I thought i think we'd see even more uproar oh yeah um, definitely. and some people thought the 30 day thing was even too short i thought it was fine and i think i've explained in a few videos why i thought it was fine and how it actually added value to a lot of uh, players and basically every player on the Absolutely. index but it, it is it is like how you phrased it there a competitor would have to have a completely different business model and thus probably have probably a completely different audience as well yeah i think so um i think so because it's very you couldn't just create the same product because why would anyone move to it yeah exactly well next question from football index novice uh has your financial background ever hindered your trading ability or has it enhanced it i love this question because i have no financial background so i love the (laughs) fact that someone thinks i do have a financial background um other than having a bank account i do not have a financial background um now i've always worked in education and policy um I have studied economics um, and uh, psychology, as uh, as you can probably tell, um, which uh, has definitely affected the way I think about um, trading. Um, but but I've never actually traded myself on uh, on uh, the stock market or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, speaking of education, we had a couple education related questions. Football Index Wolf, as a qualified teacher, do you think more needs to be done in schools to educate students financially about investing, etc.? So I also like this question because I'm also not a qualified teacher. So people, <laughs> people have given me a lot of qualifications that I don't have. You are an accomplished um, man. Um, I have, however, always worked in education um, from a policy and research point of view, not not a teacher. Um, uh, so I have thought about this question. I mean, I think part of the problem is there's lots of things people want to add to the school curriculum. And <laughs> yeah. there isn't actually very much time in schools. You've got 10,000 hours is the total amount of time a kid spends in school, um, which is not very long. So... Um, uh, and you've got to get maths and English and uh, and uh, geography and history and everything else. Um, however, when I was at the education department, when I was uh, advising the minister in the Department for Education, we did think a lot about this idea of... Um, because we're, we're very unusual as a country and most people stop doing maths at 16. In almost every other country in the world, people carry on till 18. Um, but because A-level maths is so hard and most people couldn't do it, most people stop at 16. So so I had this idea with a couple of my colleagues of a sort of maths for life course that everyone would do between 16 and 18. So if you weren't doing A-level, you'd do something else that would help you think about the kind of maths problems that you'll see through your life, like financial investing um, and making decisions and thinking just generally thinking probabis- probabilistically because people are extremely bad mm-hmm. at thinking probabilistically. Um, so we thought we could come up with a course. And I think actually Cambridge, some people in Cambridge did come up with a course, but it's not, it's not been made mandatory or anything. Um, but, but I would, I would really like to see that. I'd like to see everyone do math to 18, but do not a level if it wasn't for them, do, do some kind of set you up for life kind of math course um, for the reasons in the question tell you what a level math was bloody hard i'll tell you that exactly so i didn't do it, it. Really i hard. didn't do a level maths. i did it and it was tough um and i was like up to gcse very good at maths a level hit me like a truck um i mean i didn't do badly i didn't do excellently i did uh, reasonably well but it was it was really difficult like i i don't think i've ever worked that hard in my life oh, right from, so there, there's quite a lot of people who wouldn't be able to do that so yeah. need, something else, need something else for them i mean i hardly did it so <laughs> I do think there is that there has to be something. Um, I don't know this is for index chat, but I came out of university not knowing much about taxation, for example. Uh, getting thrown into the real world, especially if you get a job straight away, suddenly you're forced to learn about taxes, etc. 
when you're not taught about that at your job or university or school so do you think there should be something uh, a to be mandatory in, in that regard but also potentially you know i, I hardly any know, know anything about po- politics but but maybe um you know having some sort of more mandatory political or politically oriented subjects may might make me think more about politics in this country i don't know i'm phrasing that awfully but you know i mean there's these these things that are kind of like in our life but that aren't taught in school um yeah i I know i know what you mean we do have citizenship but it's it's pretty you you don't get very much of it um and other countries tend to do more citizenship um uh so i think i think it's a reasonable question you just come back to the fact that there's just very little time and a lot of things that are valuable to teach kids um so you've got to be pretty you've got to prioritize um pretty i remember when i was in the department getting a campaign for putting pet care on the curriculum and i just sort of thought <laughs> i understand why pet care is important if you have a pet but it's it's not not highest priority here so you've got to you've got to you've got to fit a lot of different things into a small space with the curriculum <laughs> i think we'll move on before uh, people start <laughs> switching off uh, otherwise we could go on for a while football index uh, fpl grinder sorry how could football index educate new traders more efficiently and what effect would that have on the market and then football index buzz similarly says if you were head of football index trader education how would you spend your first 12 weeks in the job that would be quite a title wouldn't it Mm, yeah um i think i mean the 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 first question is do do football index actually want to educate new traders Mm. um there's clearly value to them in people not quite understanding what they're doing um i mean longer longer term longer longer term you'd think it would make sense to have smarter traders um but you know i think for just as an example if people properly understood spreads um they, they would probably make less money football index um so uh so so there's there's a level but i think i think at the moment it's one of the and i know they're rebuilding the whole website and they understand this but it's definitely a failing of the of the site that it's it's so low information both about individual players but also about how the whole thing works so you've got that kind of tutorial and academy stuff sort of stuck away most people don't even notice it i think when they first sign up um and uh uh and certainly don't read it if if they do notice it. Um, so I, I'd going back to this of psychology, I'd put it much more up front. So when you signed up, um, opened your account, you'd immediately go into a tutorial. Like when you open a new piece of software and you're sort of forced to go into the tutorial and it would run through all of the, um, uh, the sort of key points of how it works, how scoring works, what PB is, what MB is. Um, and uh, so give you, so you, before you could place a bet, you had to go through, um, obviously, you'd have a skip button, but most people do tend to watch things when they're presented with them direct. Um, you you would have to go through a sort of bit of an education about how the market worked, and then I'd have a lot more information on the screen. Um, so you could, you know, if you were if you wanted to understand what IS meant, it was very easy to click on an information button and see a description of what that was um, without having to go and search somewhere um, behind the scenes for it. Um, and then just making some of the information they've got in that sort of uh, academy section um, much more visible um, and much less hidden away. Um, like the MB, why not put the MB scoring index on the MB page? Why make people go and di- like, you actually have to go to, to find the list of words that make up MB. You have to go into a news article from two years ago uh, to find the link. Like, who's going to do that? Um, unless you unless you make it visible too much friction isn't there 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just hard to find stuff. So you just have to make the, the experience of joining and then participating just much more information flow around that. I do I do think that the onboarding needs to be revamped and I hope that the new website design, the new app design makes it really intuitive for traders in general to learn more about Football Index. Absolutely. Um, because you know, I think uh, being slightly facetious in the short term, it definitely makes the money having people who don't know what they're doing. But in the mm-hmm. long term, people will only stick around if they feel like they have a hold and a grip on what they're on their bets. Oh, and if they sure. keep getting burnt, they're going to leave. So it definitely uh, makes sense. And, and we'll only we'll only see the as you just you know again to counterpoint that we'll only see the negatives of people not knowing about the platform when we first see a bit of red. Uh, yeah. When we see a, a, a small dip in the market, because at the moment in 2019 there has been a constant flow of green and a constant flow of money into the yeah, platform. Yeah. And when you saw you have that a slight downturn. Yeah. Suddenly, you're going to have people. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say you saw that with the with the, the sort of slight dip there wasn't after the GNA announcement in October and November, mm, mm. which is a very small dip relatively speaking to a normal market. But yeah, lots of people panicking and not understanding people why leaving and, the platform and leaving the platform. There was lots yeah. of people leaving the platform. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that's that's what happens when you have play, people in the platform with a lot of money in it that don't really know how the market works, which exactly. is, I think, long term uh, detrimental to Football Index's uh, proposition. Uh, Jamie Harwood, uh, here's a Brexit question incoming. And if you, <laughs> I know you, if you've had enough to, uh, enough of t- talking about it, I understand. He says, how do you think Brexit could affect Football Index and what would be the best outcome of Brexit to enhance Football Index? Wow, how, now I, I get to piss off 50% of listeners one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, and this will probably go on for an hour, won't it? And again, I've said previously on the show that I know very little about politics, so I think you'll just speak for about 10 minutes. I won't say anything, and then we'll move on no, to the next I, question. I, 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 if I talk for, about Brexit for 10 minutes, all your listeners will disappear very quickly, so I'll try not to do that. Um, I, 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 so I think... Um, there's two ways of thinking about its impact on football index. One is the economic impact on traders. So if we have a, a real world recession, um, then uh, people have less money to spend, less money to spend on sort of luxuries like football index. Um, the chances of there being a recession, if we have a deal, I think we probably won't go into recession. We'll probably have a bit of a dip, but not a recession. If we have no deal, recession is probably about 50-50. It um, could be quite a serious one. Um, so, uh, and my view of the politics at the moment is that ultimately we will end up with some kind of deal that looks pretty much like the one Theresa May is putting forward with some tweaks to it eventually, but it might go right to the wire. We might even slip over into no deal and then end up with a deal after people have a bit of a panic because it's just the way negotiations work. People always want to leave it to the last minute. Um, so, so I think there'll be a little bit of a dip on the real world economy, probably not as bad as it could be. Um, and that will affect the index maybe a little bit, but probably not very much. Um, and then the other one, which is probably more interesting, is if we leave, what happens to um, work permits? Um, now, uh, there, I think there are about 330 players in, the, in uh, English football who, would, who are U- EU citizens who would not get work permits under the non-EU rules. So what happens to them and what happens to future transfers? is a is a really interesting question for for trading um and uh we don't know yet there's been no sort of um, clarity on what will what, what what the rules will be but if they move to the non-eu rules for eu players it means that premier league teams will not be able to rely on this sort of influx of spanish and french and german players that they have been able to in recent years and they will be forced to um, play more english players 
which is interesting for people who hold uh, Foden and Hudson-Odoi and people like that. But also interesting for those who, who hold Pogba, but I mean, <laughs> someone like him who was, who was in the country between ages, I don't know what age, when he was mm. younger at the United Academy, it might be slightly different, but... You know, they're, they're also they're... not allowed to. It, you you can't recruit a non-EU player younger than eighteen. So again, if that switches to EU, Pogba would never have been able to go to Manchester United as a as a young player. Um, so that is interesting, isn't it? Mm. Weird, weird times we've got at the moment in the UK. Mm. Uh, but uh, maybe you can give us a, a snippet or something closer to the deadline that we can put into the podcast to, to yeah. stop everyone being scared. Uh, next question, GG Index, who uh, wrote a really good blog, uh, who was the January's kind of uh, interview of the month that I do uh, on, on the podcast website. And it was really good. You should check it out. Uh, a discussion point for your pod rather than a question. And this was really long, so I had to kind of comb through it a little bit (laughs) he dm'd me it if dividend deadlines were put back to 8 p.m would that solve the issue of divs being traded for um so yeah i mean i it's a really interesting one i don't from their point of view from fi's point of view i don't understand why they'd want to have a 2 p.m deadline um because having a letting it go all the way to midnight like they do with gna would would massively increase trading on game days um, and would create a lot more liquidity and commission and ISing and all of the rest of it. Um, I can see why, from traders' point of view, it would make uh, it would it would add another element of sort of complexity into the into into um, the whole market. But on the other hand, it would also give more opportunities to to make money. So um, it's uh, I, I kind of think maybe they probably will go there eventually, because from their financial point of view, it's got to be in their interest. Yeah, I think that if it's done, I I can imagine that the first time they moved it, it worked wonders. And I think they should probably do it again. Maybe not 8pm. I'd probably go first to about 4, 4.30 after all the 3pm kickoffs. And then I'd probably move it to 6 or 7 and then 8. I know we want to do things in one move, but if we iterate it, I don't know, at the beginning of next season or uh, in the next... um, in the next international break these things don't make that much of a difference and again as mike said if they don't make a difference to the material value of your bet it's not really a decision it's just a thing that happens right yeah and also if you hold it should help everybody because if you hold a player before 2 p.m and then they go up and then they and then and then they do something which means that people want to buy in because they think they're going to win um, pb that's just going to increase the value of the player you bought with foresight anyway um so i i I can't i mean other than it it just creates more volatility which can make people uncomfortable and and risk averse i can't really see why you wouldn't but i think yeah it makes sense to do it in 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 jumps um but it doesn't it doesn't materially affect the value so it makes sense to me from their point of view Mm-hmm. Uh, Football Index he has a question about the scoring matrix that ASP and I discussed at great length last episode are there any parts of the PB scoring matrix you would like to see tweaked oh yeah definitely and I enjoyed that discussion last week and I was agreeing with quite a lot of it um, so this is a controversial one I know I know there's a lot of disagreement about this but I really don't like the goal winning goal the game winning goal um, because it's um, it's completely arbitrary and has nothing to do with performance um, it's just where a goal happens to fall in the sequence, um, and obviously, can you know many days it sort of it, it decides who wins. 
Um, it just doesn't feel like it's a meaningful indicator of performance to me. Um, and then the other thing, which I think is probably less controversial, is that more creative play needs to be rewarded. Um, yeah, you've you've got the, one of the reasons why you know people keep going on about how these youngsters like Mbappe and Dembele and Sancho aren't great PB players, so they're, they're they're valued too highly, is because they're very creative players, and a lot of the things that they do just aren't valued by the system. But they mm. should be because they're great players. You know, yeah. I would I would I, mean, I would I mean, double the value on, of San- an assist. Sancho uh, only got about hundred odd points yesterday, but he was by far by, the best player on uh, the pitch. by miles. Right, I mean, I double the value of an assist for a start. Um, I would I would create a kind of key key chance pass so you got something mm. more for a brilliant you know yeah. pass that cut the defence in half rather than just pinging it back between defenders um, and I'd introduce something for take ons as well um, I, and that would just that would just really change I mean again you'd have to be careful about how you did it because it would really change value but it would it would really even up the the um, PB matrix and give genuinely good and creative players more value and I think um, you know that again talking about what what puts players off perhaps new traders off is is this sort of having this quite small pool of people they haven't actually really heard of before who are good for PB um, and players that are good in the real world not being good for PB it's not particularly logical um, and I think it would attract people if they you know okay Sancho's good in the real world he's also he's also does occasionally win PB yeah, I think it would just make more sense for everyone. Game winning yeah. goal is an interesting one. I think if you if you score the the second goal in a two one win, I think that should be. I think there's greater importance in that goal, and I understand having more points in it. But if you score the second goal in a six one win, I don't necessarily think that that should be rewarded as substantially as it is. And I do agree with you that it does have no indicator on performance. But I mean. Uh, one thing that I think that's been thrown about uh, quite a few times and I've said previously is if a player scores more than a one goal in a game should that second goal or should the, a combination of those goals be rewarded more than just a goal each if that makes sense should there be like some sort of multiplier effect that's quite interesting I've not thought about that before but there is a there's more logic to that because you know it's a rarer accomplishment and it is a real accomplishment to score two or three goals in a game than um than to just happen to score the the goal that ha- in the sequence that means you know you get the points when it's a 6-1 win as you say um which just doesn't make any sense to me and and does cause a lot of unnecessary um an unfair volatility in the in the in the leaderboard during the day. Yeah, I think it's um, game winning goal is an interesting one, and I understand why they did it. But the more you do lay it out like you've just done, it, it isn't that intuitive. And and there is also that confusion for some new traders as to what game winning goal actually is. Um, yeah, so absolutely. there's another issue, right? I think that yeah, it's it, it certainly is interesting the whole pb scoring matrix thing i've talked to people for example on the assist side of things that think an assist is just a pass and i've never really just thought about it like that but if you are of that opinion and i know a few people are then that's fine and i think it it just shows that it it, the actual matrix or importance on certain things is going to be subjective but if overall um, it means that those players like the sanchez who are playing really well than bappes are in have a better chance of winning pb it's going to make more sense for everyone absolutely um and uh yeah i mean i a goal can be a tap in an assist can be a little pass but but 
you know, likewise, an assist can be a brilliant ball that makes the whole goal. So it just makes sense to even up between those two, in in, in my view. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that, it's such that, a subjective thing that well. you could all, everyone could argue about this forever. But I do think, I think actually, this sort of sense of creating more opportunity for creative players to win to win points is has got to be a pretty widespread view. Do you, are you ever worried about the lack of like, like the, the on pitch actions aren't reflected really well on football index? Um, well, they are. It's just that only some of them are. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, take take ons, and I, I couldn't really believe it. I kept, when I when I first started watching the games with the scoring matrix in front of me, I kept searching back to see where where the take on got some points because it's such a crucial move in football. For it to have no value just seems very strange. Um, so yeah, it just it just it just harms a particular type of player and pushes you towards. Um, players who make lots of passes basically um so <laughs> yeah and another thing that we talked about is you know a pass that is passed from the goalkeeper to the center back shouldn't be the same as a central midfield player spraying it out wide to a winger who then can take on his man one-on-one that that situation that that player has created is far more valuable than the pass that we've previously talked about so i've talked about like final third passes for example it's another thing that could be or, or cheek key chance created is another way of doing it. I mean, there's there's there's, yeah. there's ways yeah, yeah, yeah. we now opt to measure a, bi- a million things. There's ways you can they already capture all this stuff. You don't need to create new categories. You just need to add more of them to the scoring matrix. Exactly. I think that's the key point, right? The data's there. Why don't we make it? available and intertwine it more into football index the the next question is uh, from tom mitchum how will the lower prices post share split alter trader behavior right going back to psychology um again we 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 know a lot about this because it's obviously companies share split a lot in the real world um and uh, and we know the effect it has on behavior and we know that it it does increase the value of their shares even controlling for the actual quality of the company so you know control for everything else just the share split increases the value of shares um and it does that consistently time and time again yeah for some types of shares more than others but it always happens um because people again don't think rationally and um see a smaller number and think that's better value um it's just the way our brains are, are framed to think about money yeah, is that a smaller number just looks better value now you know it's the someone on the chat yesterday saying i know i will buy some pogba when he comes into my price range after the share split he's you know if you can buy one now that's the same as buying four then but that's just not how people think um (laughs) so so it 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 definitely it won't i don't think it will have a massive effect immediately but i think it will have a some immediate effect and then a slow positive impact on the index over a couple of weeks um as people just start thinking oh they look cheap um, and I know it's completely irrational, but it, I actually did a little experiment where I took the top 200 and um, did their price post split so I could look at them. And so I found myself going, oh, he looks good value. It's like, no, I know it's irrational, Stop it. but you just do. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? But um, I guess this is this like really leads on to the next couple of questions we have on dividends. But before we get into them, what do you what do you think of the yields that are going to be their post share split do you think they're going to be attractive to maybe big money um 
Yeah, so I think that they are very likely to increase dibs to some degree on this announcement on March the 18th, because I think they've slightly boxed themselves in, in the comments that they've made by saying that they want to increase. So once you've said you want to increase, and then you don't, well, the only reason you don't is because you couldn't. And that is not a message you want to give to anybody. Sure. Um, That's really interesting. So that kind of forces you into thinking, okay, well, we have to now, unless they really can't. Um, I don't don't think it'll be a huge increase, but I think there'll be some increase in in dividends when they do the split, um, which will help yields, obviously. Um, But the other, and and, and, and sort of to the wider point about that, ultimately, yield is, is completely within their control. So again, unlike a normal market, they if if yields get low and people start leaving the platform because of that, they can just put them up again if they can afford it. Um, and they can keep doing that for several goes before they reach a sort of whatever the market cap for FI is, which is we're a long way off. So it's not something I worry about particularly, except in thinking it's very hard to, makes it even harder to value, especially young players, because you have no idea what the dividend is going to look like. Mm, um, I said that as well in the, in the thread. It's, it's there are some people who are essentially betting on FI uh, increasing dividends, which I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think it it means that some of the prices are massively inflated at the moment. Yeah, I suspect that. I suspect that's right. But I think it's probably a fairly safe bet that at some point, even if they didn't do it on the 18th, they would do it um, because. As I say, it's completely within their control. And if yields went down to, you know, what, I, what did, did uh, they, they say it was? It was the, the last year it was nineteen percent or something. Nineteen like percent yield, which is obviously great, and people would take something less than that. Um, but if it dropped to five or three, then I think you know, certainly your bigger money players who weren't doing it just for the hobby would um, would get out. So, and it's completely within their control to stop that. So they would. Interesting. FI Johnny G on on the subject of dividends. Sam, you're very vocal about picking players based on their actual dividend yield. What's your plan when these yields dwindle percentage-wise to below 5%? Is it to exit FI? Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm quite vocal about understanding value. That's not quite the same as picking players based on their actual dividend yields. I think it's fine to buy a player you don't actually think of is value if you're pretty convinced lots of other people are going to buy them because you can make money doing that. That That's fine. Um, but you should have a sense of what their value is. Um, you shouldn't be going into a trade without that in your head because otherwise you won't have the right exit strategy. Um, so, so my, my, my only advice is to, is to have a good sense of what the real value is in your own, in your own mind before making a trade. Um, if, if you, as I say, I think we were just talking about it. If, if yields dwindle to below 5%, then lots of people would exit FI, um, which means, which is why I think they won't because it's within the power of FI to, to not let that happen and to um to increase um to increase dividends and of course if lots of people did start leaving fi the prices would drop and dividends would go back up so <laughs> um so i think it's um I, I, it's not something i worry about a lot because i think we're quite a long way off it and i think there's lots of ways it can be prevented from happening i think it's more just in your own mind being clear about how you value a player and um and uh, uh, and if you think they're overvalued holding mm. on Interesting. Some interesting words there. Uh, SAH89 underscore FI, last question of the day. Do you think the psychological shift away from current dividends earners to future dividend earners will change post-share split? Um, again, I suspect it depends a bit on whether they increase dividends. 
um, if they do, people tend to, to, again, availability bias, people tend to go to, when they see a change in a rule, they tend to go to the most obvious implication of that rule change straight away. So if PB went up, people would think, who's good for PB? Oh, Tiago. Uh, or whoever, um, and, and you'd, I think you'd see a pretty immediate jump in those players to start with. So I think in that sense, it would affect it. Um, if if dividends didn't change, I don't, I don't think the split itself would change that psychology between new and new and old, yeah, younger and older players very much. But if, but if they do change jibs, people will 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 jump to the obvious choice immediately. You see this with a deposit bonus; people will immediately pile into players who yeah, have just played well. Definitely. Um, because it's front of mind uh, i've said this quite a few times right a lot of people have asked me if the if the share split was to happen tomorrow who would you buy and i'm like well i'd be buying the rashford or the pogba of whoever that that is at the time of the share split um i think it's really obvious not because i think they're the best value necessarily but but because, because everyone else, else will buy them, buy them. Exactly. And then I think what you always see after deposit bonus is then over the time, down. the trickle down. Um, and again, I expect you, you, you'll see that happening. And certainly when I looked at the post share split prices, I felt the value to me felt like actually lower down the psychological shift in value. Suddenly there were all these players who were quite good, who were under a pound. And that felt like quite a big distinction. Again, we tend to frame a pound as being a, you know, quite a clear dividing point in our heads, which is why, which is why lots of things are, you know, 99p or uh, in, 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 in shops. Um, so I think, um, I think seeing good play like Van Dyke, uh, not Van Dyke, um, uh, Alexander Arnold would be under four, under a pound. Like that, that kind of thing is where you see where you see. Um, uh, where I think actually will trickle down to quite fast when people really look at the mm, different pricing. Mm. And of course, this is not an endorsement to buy uh, Trent Alexander Arnold. <laughs> not any particular player. No, I'm just, I'm just. He was the one who came to my head. But there, obviously, that nearly every player on the index is actually under a pound when under a pound when you, when you, when you do that. Mm, when you do certainly the very interesting times ahead, don't we, Sam? Is there anything else you want to talk about or touch on or talk about the future of football index? Um. No, I've 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 enjoyed uh, enjoyed the, all the different questions. Um, uh, I think it's you know every, every every show I know you go into detail and there's some criticism about different act, aspects of the platform. But look, it's completely captivated my attention for eight months when there's lots of other <laughs> things I should be doing. So um, it's uh, it's it's a brilliant idea, and uh, yeah, we need to we can we can all help improve the ex- execution a little bit. But it's great fun, and um, I think it's going to. Um, uh, keep growing for a long time mm, to come you're very 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 wise words indeed throughout the whole show i think you've been excellent thank you very much for coming on man uh, where can people find out more about you i think you said that people shouldn't follow you but if they do want to if you want to follow me i'm on twitter at sam fr as i say i don't tweet about football um but, I, but if you're interested in brexit and labor party politics and uh, and education policy then you're very welcome <laughs> And also, I'm on index gain a lot, so you can yeah, find me there. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, politics aside, um, hopefully people will really enjoy the the podcast. Uh, as you said, fifty percent might hate it, fifty percent might love it. Who knows? Um, if you're on your commute, thank you very much for for listening. Hope this this made your commute a little bit more bearable. If you're not on your commute, enjoy whatever the hell you're doing: uh, scrubbing your toilet, having a bath, uh, doing a, a cross country drive. To, to visit your uh, in-laws whatever it may be and sorry if i didn't answer your questions or if 
rather Sam didn't answer your questions we obviously have a, a time limit to some extent and uh, last ones was two hours and I was like I'm not doing that again that is ridiculous <laughs> so uh, thank you all very much for listening cheers <laughs>